a French drain is a subsurface drain, usually built around properties or roads or structures that directs groundwater and rainwater away from uh, the structures or from places where they can do harm. And usually it's a trench that is filled with gravel. And in some cases, in many cases these days, a pipe also. But even if it's just gravel, it gives the water a place to collect and then it kind of steers it to a safer, usually um, downhill area. So it kind of catches it from going the way otherwise would have gone and sends it a safer place. Like I said, these days there a pipe goes in the trench as well. Um, usually a perforated pipe that is both soaking up water that is rising up from the ground and catching water that comes from the top. And there's a lot of ways to do these drains, these systems, I should say. And they are done very differently in different places across the country and in different applications. Sometimes they'll have a catch basin every you know 10 or 20 feet to let water in. Sometimes they'll have the gravel will be at the top of the of the lawn so you can see the the trench right there. Sometimes it'll be wrapped in fabric and buried under the ground and you'll you won't even know it's there. So really interesting piece of simple engineering that are super problem solvers. And if you ever had a pro- a property with water problems, uh, then you know how serious it is. I had a property once, a rental, it was a fourplex and this was in Phoenix. And I was lucky enough to own the property during the 100 year flood event. This was probably in 2016. And I had two of the units that had water running right in the front door of the, of the apartment. Um, huge problem. You can imagine the poor tenants were of course just freaking out. And I was as well. Cause I had never dealt with that exact situation before. So that was the first time I had ever um, gotten, you know, paid attention and sort of utilized a French drain to prevent that thing from happening in the future. All right. All that being said, we've got an expert with us today. We have Sean from Gate City Foundation Drainage. Sean's a contractor in North Carolina who installs French drains and drainage systems um, for people. And he puts the content on YouTube and it's amazing. His, you'll hear us talk about his videos, but he does a really good job of documenting the particular property and the the issues that the property is having. How and then he solves it, and then he comes back and films the system working later. Um, it's really it's really great. And I always kind of wondered, man, why is this guy so good at teaching and explaining? And he's he doesn't come across like a you know a rough and tumble contractor. He, he comes across like a, I don't know, professional. And I now I know why. He was a teacher at the college level for 15 years. He has a graduate degree in biology. I did not know that until today. And now I'm, it's feeling like a light bulb going off. Like, well, that explains why he's so good at teaching and speaking to a camera, to his YouTube audience, because it's not his first rodeo. But it is his first podcast. So he's with us today. We're talking about French drains we're talking about his uh, YouTube videos. I've got a French train coming up in my future, maybe next year that you guys will see and hear more about. So I'm an especially eager student and I hope you enjoy this conversation. Sean's a great guy. With no further ado, Sean from Gate City Foundation Drainage. Why 
why don't let's start with your kind of career how did how did you find yourself doing drainage and um water it's not maintenance water drainage work and and repairs how did your career unfold that led you to this point i when i was in in college i was working construction with my stepdad and we were doing a lot of work in water and wastewater plants and so working with the pipe i was used to and then i finished my graduate degree and i took a job as a professional biologist and then i started teaching and kind of like a side gig i had was rentals and it seemed like all my rentals had flooded crawl spaces and, and drainage problems. And I really wanted to solve them like 100% really, really well. And so using the PVC pipe, which is smooth on the inside and using that, you know, sloping it the right way, the same way you would with plumbing techniques seemed like the best way to do that. And the maintaining the flow of the water as it's coming down the downspout is going to keep the debris and everything blown out. And so I had done that on several of my rentals. And then my buddy who does heating and air, he was underneath one of my rentals one time and he, he was so astonished that the, there was no water under there. He told me I needed to do drainage work. <laughs> and, and I was just like, what is drainage work, you know? And so that was, that was about three years ago and the real estate market around here was picking up and so I wanted to get away from real estate and into some kind of construction or something. And that's how, that's how I started doing drainage and who even knew drainage work was a thing. So exactly. Yeah. That's my next comment. It's such a small part of construction. It's like a niche. It's like much narrower than plumbing or electrical. It's a really even, even rain gutters are more common than the actual right drainage yep. after it leaves the gutters. Right. Yep. And so when I looked into it a little bit, I found that everybody was using the black corrugated pipe and I just didn't agree with that pipe. I, I really like PVC, but PVC is much, much more difficult to work with, much, much more expensive. Everything is harder, but it lasts and it works way better. And so when I started looking into what is drainage work, I found everybody doing things that I wouldn't do. And so I just kind of started the business and started going. So before we get too far past it, did you say that you have a graduate degree in biology? Yeah, I have a, a graduate degree in biology and wow. I've, I've got about 15 years of teaching background. And so before that I was working as an aquatic ecologist and my specialty was benthic macroinvertebrate identification. In other words, what is that? What are, what in the world are those? <laughs> those are the bugs that live on the bottom of streams. Wow. And so if you're looking at water quality and there's a, a rich diversity of, of aquatic life in that stream, the water quality is probably pretty good. Basically what it boils down to. In other words, the more organisms that are in the stream, the better quality yeah. water it is. That's counterintuitive. Yeah, no, because the more diversity you have, the, the better the quality of habitat. And if you're in the water, the water pollution and water quality is really what the habitat is all about. So think about it this way. If, if you looked at a stream and there was absolutely nothing living in it, would you think that was good or bad? Good point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There must be a reason why nothing's living in it. Yeah. So then I moved back into teaching for the free time to do the real estate stuff. Oh, wow. So where were you teaching at? 
I was teaching at a local community college here in Greensboro. And I've also done a lot of online teaching for different, different colleges around. That is amazing. Wow. Well, I, I was also involved with real estate for several years, um, kind of acquiring and managing rentals. And I probably got out of it around the same time you did. And, and maybe for sort of similar reasons, it was, I felt like it was heating up and I was getting out of my comfort zone in terms of buying and taking risk. But since then it's only like quadrupled and like turns out I was, if I stuck with it, I probably would have done really well, but it's really hard to like, I don't know. You got to have, you got to be comfortable taking risk, I guess, when the market's moving that quick. Yeah. And so what I've been doing is I've been selling some of my properties as they've been becoming vacant. So yeah. I'm, I'm just kind of waiting for the market to turn back down and maybe get back into it. So we'll see. But your your contractor at this point, you're taking client work and doing drainage work for people. So what's that transition like? Because you were, you know, teaching and in a community college and now you are uh, getting dirty and working with not really just your hands. You got quite a bit of machinery mm -hmm. that we'll talk about, but that's definitely two much different um, career paths that you now understand both really well. What's that like kind of having this new perspective? Maybe it's well, not new, I guess. You did it in college, I guess. So you tell me. Yeah. And um, when I was buying rentals, I was doing most of the work myself as much as I could. So I've always had tools. I've always been working with my hands. And so it really hasn't been too different for me because I'm used to doing both at the same time. So doing the teaching and then on my off time, doing the working around on houses and stuff. So it hasn't really been too much of a, it, it's, it's funny for sure. Yeah. But, and then when my customers find out I have a master's degree in biology, that's surprising as well <laughs> to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. That's not, that's not the first thing they expect. Do you think you'll get back into teaching at some point or are you kind of turning the page from that? I'm definitely turning the page from that. So it was a lot of fun and I really, really enjoyed it, but it's just different now. So I'm wow. leaving it behind. I can't help. I have to ask you just your perspective on college. You've, you've done a lot of it and you've seen a lot of it. I don't know if you have kids or not, but are you generally like recommending, you know, young people go to college or is it case by case, or can you give any perspective on education that you, uh, now that you've, you know, seen both sides of work and career and you've learned a lot in and out of school, I assume. Just the ability to learn things, practicing learning, I got a lot of that, of course, in graduate school. So I feel like I can take on subjects that I don't know anything about really easily and learn about them. But college is definitely a lot more about pass rates now than it used to be. And so, yeah, yeah, you know, that's how I feel. People ask me that and I have to answer. I'm really grateful I went to school because of how my life is because of where I'm at in my life, which I'm really blessed and grateful. I got a great family. My wife would not have married me if I didn't go to school, period. She had, mm -hmm. she has told me that a lot of times, but at the same time, if I could go back, I feel like I would not go because I'm, I think I could use the time wiser, honestly, at this point. So I don't know the answer. I think everybody has to answer for themselves, but it's definitely different. The world has changed a lot and probably school has as well over the last 10 or 20 years. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's talk about drainage because I've been really enjoying your videos for maybe a month now. And so because I've been watching your videos, I've been getting all these other drainage related videos. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I feel more confused than when I started. Um, 
well, I should say in some ways I feel more confused than when I started. And I'm a little surprised there's not more um, consistency in like methodology among, you know, among the way it's done. Is that just because of the soils that are different in different parts of the country and it's case by case? Or can you talk about maybe some of the different styles of drainage drains and French drains that exist and how many different ways there are to get it done and such? From what I've experienced in my area, not to badmouth anybody, but when when the landscape guys go to the landscape supply house, the corrugated material is what's for sale and the catch basins are what's for sale and all that stuff. And they install it. And a lot of times it the pipe might be going up, up, down, up, down, whatever. It's not falling. They're not using levels, things like that. And so I found that anybody can install a catch basin in the ground and call it a drainage system. Uh. And whether it's going to work or not is another thing. And so I think that a lot of people just don't have an eye for what the water is going to do, even though it seems fairly straightforward. That's what I've seen. Yeah, that makes sense. So there's a, first of all, our French drain systems a lot of building you kind of assume these days with building codes that it kind of lasts forever or it should mm -hmm. last, I don't know, a hundred years or something. Do French drains and drainage systems last that long or are they only ever good for like 10 or 20 years or what? How, how long does drainage work last before it clogs up and has to be done, redone? It really depends on how it was installed. So I install all my pipe with, a, if I can get a full bubble of fall, that's what I go for. And just like in a plumbing system, when you flush the toilet, that's it. That, that water's got to make it to the sewer. And the only way it can make it there is if gravity is working with it. And so I install my pipes the same way, where once the water gets going, it's going to keep going due to gravity. And so I really, really make sure to get my, my pipes falling correctly. We put a level on everything, make sure everything's going. And that speed of water is what provides the energy to carry debris. And so in a drainage system where you're catching gutters, you've got a huge downpour coming and that amount of water, that much force can blow out a huge amount of debris and couple that with the smooth in interior wall of, of my four inch PVC pipes and the, and the, the debris just blows out of it. Oh, got it. So that's why like a corrugated drain system may fail because it fills up with debris because it's not flushing itself out and it's getting hung up. And so it, it fails because the pipe itself just gets clogged right. up. Is that it? Imagine coasting down a hill and you're, you can't pedal your bike. All you have is gravity and you're coasting down a smooth hill versus coasting down a corrugated hill with a thousand speed bumps. It just, <laughs> it just kills the flow. It kills the speed of the water. Right. And once that water slows down, it drops all of the debris out of it. Interesting. Okay. And so that's why, so in other words, with a system like that, if, if dirt particles get into the pipe, it's not the end of the world because they're just going to flush out like a toilet right out the other end. Right. Good riddance. Yep. And the dirt particles are called shingle dust. So the oh, shingle, the shingle right. sheds little particles. And I visited many of my outfalls during the rain and you can just see the shingle dust just flowing right out of it. Wow. It's mm -hmm. just leaving the, it's leaving the roof, hopping in the system and yep. coming right out the other end. Yep. And in the springtime and in the fall, if I visit an outfall, you see all the leaves where the leaves or the, 
the flowers or whatever may be going on at that season is blowing out of the, the pipes as well. So are you trying to avoid as many fittings as possible kind of in order to keep that like straight lines or are fittings and 45s and all that kind of just a part of it? They're a part of it, but every decision is based on what's going to flow the best. So you may, if you've seen some of the comments, a lot of people say that my, my pipe sticking out of the ground look terrible. And I agree with that. They do look terrible, but they work really well. And so I, I always say looks can be mitigated, plant a shrub in front of it put a, a welcome, you know, a frog holding a welcome mm-hmm. sign in front of the pipe, you can fix the looks, but what you can't fix is when the pipe clogs and the flooding comes back. So what pipe is sticking out of the ground? Maybe I haven't seen that, but at what point is it sticking out? Just where it's catching the gutter downspout. So maybe, oh. you know, four or five, six, seven, eight inches out of the ground. Oh, got it. But yeah, mm-hmm. okay. uh, people should understand that that's the price you pay to have your gutter water brought away from the property. So right. Exactly. Worth it. Wow. Um, your videos are really neat because you, they did, they tell a great story. They almost always start at the job beforehand. And some, in some cases you even are able to get footage of the, of the flooding and the situation, which is really dramatic in some cases. And then you usually finish with a, another shot on a really rainy day of the system working. So how much work does that add to like track down all of that footage for the videos you're making? It adds quite a bit. The, the before footage, oftentimes homeowners will be taking video of, you know, an especially bad rain event or whatever. And I always ask them, do you have any video that you can send me that I can use? And if they do, that's just like gold for me, because then you can really see the before and, and what the problem is. As far as the rain footage, that's a huge pain to get because it can be storming at my house and I'll jump in the car and go and it just like stops raining by the time I get there. Yeah. And so I I, I often have to make several attempts before I get any good rain footage. The other yeah. thing, last I think it was last fall, I just had not uploaded any videos and I had a bunch of projects that were all finished. The videos were completely finished. I was just waiting for it to rain. And so I just had to wait. And, and, you know, once it rained, like five videos went up and everybody's like, oh, there you are. There you are. And I'm asking people, I'm like, would you rather have me upload it without the rain footage or wait? And everybody said, wait. Yeah. And so it's my favorite part because I'm a scientist. So I, I want to take my best shot at something. And then I want to go back and verify that it actually worked. Yeah, and I think probably, yeah, probably for your own curiosity, just seeing it work is helpful to make sure that it's working how you imagined, right? Yeah, exactly. And sometimes I'll find something on the return visit that I need to tweak or or fix a little bit, so I can it gives me a chance to do that as well. Does the type of system you install vary based on the type of soil you run into? Second of all, are you putting cleanouts in? Um, ever so that people can, you know, maintain them or you kind of seal it up and it's safer to not uh, leave that open. And then last thing, are, are permits required for this kind of work? And what type of oversight is there from building departments and such? Thus, pretty much we have the same soil around here. It's called Georgia red clay and it's a oxidized, very ancient soil and it's very poor in nutrients. It's, it's just very stable. We don't use rebar in our concrete, for example, because our Mm -hmm. subsoil is so stable. And so if you're putting in pipes, 
as long as you can get the pipe in there and get it bedded correctly, then it's going to be good to go. It's not going to move around. So we don't have any frost line here. We don't have any subsurface water here and our subsoil is very stable. And so when I, when you put something in the ground, it tends to stay there. So that's, that's something I've got going for me. Yeah. The other thing is with the, with the pipe sloping down the right way, it should not be holding water. And so other people say that up North, the PVC pipe will, will break when it freezes, but mm-hmm. I don't really see how a four inch pipe sloping r- the right way could hold enough water to, to, to freeze and, and expand and break. So I'm not sure about that. As far as cleanouts go, I think cleanouts are a really, really good thing. But if you if you install an actual PVC cleanout, it has a very, very industrial look to it. And so when when I take the two by three inch downspout, or I mean the three by four inch downspout and drop it into a four inch PVC coupling, there's a space that's left around it. And that space is enough to fit a jetter hose or a snake down into it. And so that's how I prefer to leave my systems is, is leave them open like that. Mm-hmm. But occasionally we do install the cleanouts with like the, the screw out plug that you can mm-hmm. screw out and get something into. And uh, so as far as that goes, I do not like sealing up the system at all. And I'll, going back to, to looks and how the downspout to PVC connector looks, you can buy a downspout adapter, which seals the whole thing up. And people on my channel are like, why aren't you using those? They look so much better. And I'm like, yeah, they look great, but they completely remove your ability to access the system. And so knock on wood, I've never had to clean out one of my pipes or had a call back that it's clogged. And I think that's just a reflection of the vast amount of flow that goes through that PVC pipe and blowing itself out after a good hard rain. Yeah, somehow that whole concept of flow and getting the, and the water moving, I just never flashed on that despite having watched several of these videos, but that really solves a lot of problems. And I'm sure that there's plenty of situations where this might change. In other words, if you have to have like a, a catch basin for whatever reason at a real low spot where leaves and stuff are going to fall in, well, maybe in a situation like that, you got to modify your, you know. yeah. I do have one system that I put in where <clears throat> the the apartment building was kind of like a horseshoe shape, like a U, and mm-hmm. the, the inside of the U was the low point. And oh. there, was, there was absolutely nowhere for the water to go. And so we did install some pipes in there and a, a big catch basin. And I've told the, the property owner, I said, this, this is absolutely critical that you keep this thing clear of leaves. Because yes. if it overflows, or I mean, if it clogs up, then your pipe doesn't do anything because the water can't get in there. And so in that kind of a case, you would definitely want to keep an eye on things a little bit more. Are, is your work inspected or are there, I know in extreme or in large new construction drainage gets engineered and everything, but maybe for this type of work, um, is there any type of uh, inspection or city or county I know I eyes overlooking and keeping track of this work or are you just solving problems and they're happy. Somebody's taking care of it. When I first looked into doing drainage work, I called the city and they said that inspections are not required for existing homes. If I was doing new home drainage installation, they would require inspections huh. and permits. And so in our area, the streets, 
uh, function as the stormwater management system. And so when I core through a curb, that is actually called a tie-in to the city. And every time I call the city and ask them, they say, go for it. Really, the hardest thing I've had to do was to get written permission for that tie-in permit to core through a curb. And I needed written permission for an HOA I was working on. Every, it took months. Every time I talked to somebody, they'd say, just do it. And I'd say, no, I need something in writing to give to the HOA. And they're just like, that would stop them cold. And oh. so, yeah. So the other, the other thing that I've run into needing a permit for is when I install culverts. So if oh. you take a drainage ditch and turn it into a culvert, the county or the city wants to know about that. And they just want, they have some special things you need to do, but it's pretty straightforward. It just takes forever. So as far as most of my videos, no, no permit is required. It's such an interesting little niche. And I'm wondering if people are even offering this service in the way that you are in every part of the country, because you're solving a huge problem that I'm sure people will call a plumber and they're kind of like, uh, call an excavator. And the excavating Asian contractor is kind of like, uh, I do septic work. You know what I mean? This is like a, a more narrow niche. And do you think that it's a also a, a, a good trade or a good part of area in construction to be involved in? I definitely think it's a niche. And that's one of the reasons I got into it because I didn't see anybody else doing it. And I get calls from all over the world asking if I, if I work in wherever. And when yeah. I say no, they ask if I know anybody yeah in their area and i don't know anybody who's doing the pvc like i am and and i don't i do know why because it's hard it's very difficult to get that pvc right but once it's in and once it's there it works great and so why is, I, it, why is it difficult why is the pvc in particular more difficult the pvc is is more difficult because if that fitting is a 45 degree fitting your trench has to be 45 degrees not 46 degrees it has to be 45 degrees uh -huh. And so we spend a ton of time working on our trenching and getting our, our angles right and all that stuff. So it's yeah. definitely very, very difficult. And the four inch PVC doesn't, it doesn't flex very much. You can't just like tweak it or, or force it in because it's too strong. You can't do that. And I, I think the, the corrugated stuff that, that comes in like a huge roll and you just roll it out and wherever your trench is, it goes in. I think it's just too easy and too cheap that people are just continuing to do it. And you you can dig a trench and lay a pipe in it and call it a drainage system. And that's what I see all the time. Yeah. And so as far as a drainage system goes, I think a drainage system should identify the source of water, find a way to collect that water into a pipe and then deliver it somewhere where the water is no longer a problem where you can actually put your lawn chair up and look at the pipe and watch it gushing water out. Yes. And so other drainage systems that I see that they don't do that. I've got a friend with a, a new house that he built and we just had a really, what do you call it? Early summer rain or a late spring rain, but it just rained a lot up here in the Northwest. And there is a lot of water around his house. They're kind of freaking out and the property is just super flat. So what, what do people do when there's not like a really obvious place to like send the water? What's the, what's, what, what are the options? Well, the further away from the house, you can get it, the better. And if there's not an obvious place, sometimes you can create one. So sometimes you can dig a, a larger hole or a larger area and have your pipe sticking into that with some riprap or something like that. 
-hmm. as your outfall. But that is, that's a very, very challenging thing to do. If you have a super flat property, you can't achieve your fall of your pipe. You know, the further, the further out you go, the further it has to fall and drop down. So having super, super flat properties like that is very, very, very challenging. And sometimes what you can do, if you can't go down, sometimes you can go up. So you may be able to bring some grade up against the house and create a a slope away from the house to shed the water away a little bit. Yeah, that's a good, that's, that's a good idea. And a lot of times too, we will keep our pipes at the house really, really high and then just cover them up with pine needles or something because to, you, to, to achieve fall, sometimes you can start out really high and then achieve your fall across a flat yard. Um, what's the, the, I know you, I get the grass seed, but you also put straw on the ground when you're all done and nobody does that around, around here. What, what is that? Everybody does it around here. The straw protects the bare soil from rain and it helps to prevent erosion. It protects the seed from birds eating it. And it, the straw decomposes and it holds moisture and it releases nutrients. So it's like fertilizer, protection, everything all in one. And all you do is you let your grass grow up through it. And then once your grass comes in really thick, you just start mowing and you just mow through the whatever straw is left. And I mean, everybody does it around here. And I get that question all the time on my channel. <laughs> that So I lived in Arizona and in Arizona, when people plant grass, they put manure on top of it, which for a lot of the same reasons, it holds moisture. It keeps Mm -hmm. the birds from eating it. Mm -hmm. It keeps the seeds kind of from getting scorched. And when I first learned that, I was like, oh, it makes sense. Then I came back to Oregon and I suggested it to the landscaper. We were doing a a little repair and I'm like, let's get some manure. And he looked at me like I was crazy. They Mm -hmm. use um, peat moss here for the same reasons. Anyways, yeah, and then straw is is what you guys are using. So I might try straw here because I love the idea. I know straw is also really good just from it's like a snowshoe. If it's muddy, you can like mm-hmm. walk on straw. It's like a miracle product that you can like yeah. float out across the mud. <laughs> it's like another side benefit of it that definitely manure and peat moss um, don't uh, provide. Yeah, yeah. I've got I hooked up with a local farmer here, not too far and. I'll buy, I don't know, a couple hundred bales from him and he'll just store them in his barn and then I'll just go get them as I need them. So it it works out really, really well. And it it just finishes everything off so well when you steed and straw stuff. And then, and then it's not hard to put out, you know, you can grab a couple bales, all that. It makes it real easy and it, it gives a nice finished look to after you've messed up the yard. Yeah. Yeah, it does. I, I, I really like the way it looked. I, I've, I, I always enjoy that on your videos and it makes me feel like, why doesn't that happen here? I think some of those, some of the answer to that could just be, um, not quite supply chain, but in other words, there's probably a lot more straw in North Carolina right. than in Phoenix, Arizona, where maybe right, there's yeah. a lot of manure and up here, I think peat moss comes from Canada or somewhere. So I don't know. I'm sure a lot of it is, it wouldn't make sense to ship some of these products you know, across yeah. the country just for this reason. So it's like, it's like, you, it's like, use what you got or something like that. Yeah. Use what's available kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you, you, you own or run and you've got all kinds of equipment. How did you get, um, involved with knowing how to run and maintain? I'm sure you're always fixing things. You got this trailer project you did. Um, how did you pick up that skill set along the way? Um, in addition to schooling and, contracting and and such 
Well, I think it boils down to I'm not afraid to fail. And so if you're not afraid to fail, that gives you either the confidence or the recklessness, as one of my friends calls me, to dive into different things that maybe you don't know anything about and kind of like fiddle your way through it and figure it out. And so I had bought a subcompact tractor with a backhoe on it for my rental properties, and I was using that. And when I learned how to use the backhoe, I made a, a distinct decision to not memorize what the controls did, but to, mm. to, to feel it. And I don't know that anybody, that that's the way you're supposed to do it, but it just worked for me, just feeling what to do. And so if somebody else gets on the, the excavator, they're like, which, which lever does, I'm like, I don't know which one. I just try to put my hands in the position and try to feel what it would do. And so just practice and, and learning how to do that. As far as buying equipment, I do a lot of research and, and talk to people and look at videos and look at reviews and things like that. For example, I knew after my first couple of pipe jobs that I needed a trencher. And I had rented the, the wheel trenchers before from Home Depot. They're absolutely terrible. And I was just researching trencher, trencher. And then all of a sudden I see a Toro tracked trencher. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this makes so much more sense. And so that's what mm -hmm. I got just because I happened to find it and knew that it made a lot more sense than the wheeled ones do. Mm -hmm. And so I got that. And then the, the tractor was just way too slow. So tractors, tractors are really good at doing a lot of different things, but they can't do anything super well. Mm -hmm. So I got the trencher and I got the small mini excavator. And I went down, I drove like 10 hours, I think, to Florida to get that. And wow. same kind of thing. I was just looking at them, looking at them, looking at some of the different model numbers. And the one I found, the tracks like pull in. Yeah. And so you can fit through tight spaces. And I was like, I didn't know that was a thing, but now I know I need it. Yeah. And so I usually buy stuff used also. And so a good deal will pop up. And I'll say, okay, this is a whatever brand, whatever model. And I'll say, well, what is that? So I'll go look at it and see if I can find what features it's got, things like that. And so a lot of my equipment, I've just kind of stumbled upon and done some research on it and figured out that it was a good piece of equipment or it had features I like and jumped on it. Yeah. And so I'm always on Marketplace or Craigslist or wherever looking for a good deal or looking for a piece of equipment. And that's how I've gotten almost all of my stuff. Yeah. I'm like addicted to Craigslist. I'll, I'll like refresh it for no reason just to see what pops up. And I don't even, yeah. use, I don't <laughs> even use equipment that much. I certainly don't need very much of it, but I love it. It's so fun to like shop for old, not even old, but just tools and machinery and yep. things like this that are valuable. I think it's related to real estate. Cause I, I really loved buying real estate for all those years. And you could always like sense when you got a good deal on a piece of real estate and you knew like, yeah. Oh wow, I probably made some money on this deal. And equipment I always thought is like the next best thing because certainly like bigger pieces of equipment could be like 50 or 80 or a hundred thousand dollars or more of course. Mm -hmm. And so if you get it for under market value, well, you probably come out ahead and you could, you could, uh, you know, use it and then just get your money back out of it. Maybe some more also depending. So I'm with you on used equipment and tools. Speaking of that, that first tractor I bought, I had kind of collected some attachments for it, like a box blade and that kind of thing. And when I sold that tractor and all the attachments, I, 
I listed it for what I paid for everything and I sold it for what I paid for everything. And I used it wow. for several years. And wow. so going used like that, I, I think you can't go wrong. As long as you can do a little bit of maintenance to it or repairs, that's how I like yeah. to do it. Hey, um, speaking of equipment, have you ever used a trencher on a skid steer? Have you ever had any luck with those or how do those compare to the, the real trencher like you have, or do you have any experience? I don't have any experience with a trencher for my skid steer, although I am looking for one. Oh. And so it's one of those deals where I just haven't found one yet. And for me, I know we have to trench really, really straight lines and we have to trench at a certain depth. So the walk behind trencher that I've got, you can really feel where it's at and you yeah. can see really well. And so I'm not sure that that would work as well on a, on a skid steer mounted trencher. That may be more for like water lines and things like that that don't have to be set so exactly as our pipes do. Yeah, because I I have one and I'm kind of disappointed because I've only used it a couple times and it doesn't work very good. It like doesn't get the dirt out of the hole. It'll like dig pretty deep, but it only takes half of the dirt out and I still have to go back and like shovel a bunch of it out. And I understand okay. why. It's probably kind of like tractors. Like they can do a lot of things, none of them great. And I, I was thinking that's probably part of this i mean you the... need you need a, an attachment that goes on the front of the trencher called a crummer oh and oh, what, what that, that does it like keeps the if your if your chain is right here it keeps the dirt in the chain oh and so the chain is what expels the dirt and so same thing i didn't know that those crummers existed and we were we were having to shovel out all of our trenches all the loose stuff out of all of them oh, and wow. then then I was looking at something and I found out that, that the crummer attachment was available for my trencher. I called up my dealer and he said, yeah, I've got a used one that, that'll fit your trencher. And I oh, went up wow. and got it. So that's what you need is a crummer attachment. Why would those not be like built in? Why would those not be just standard equipment with these things? I have no idea, but they need to be for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that is amazing. Huge help for me because I've done a decent amount of trenching with this. Not a ton, but probably three or 400 feet total up mm -hmm. now. And, and like I said, it's been pretty disappointing because I get out and I start like shoveling it out thinking the heck that was the whole point is to not shovel. So yeah, yep. I will look that up. Um, all right. So let's talk about filming a little bit because you said you weren't afraid to fail. I think that's something that a lot of people who put themselves out in videos have in common, because when you put yourself out there, you're really opening yourself up to, um, I don't know, everybody for you know, good and bad, not to yeah. mention, it's not that easy to like see yourself in video. So what, what kind of got you doing that in the first place? And what's that been like, um, putting videos on YouTube and kind of heading down that road as well? My first videos on YouTube were from my personal channel. So I like to do mountain biking and kayaking and stuff like that. And so this was back in like the early 2000s when cameras were really crappy back then. And I would just have a GoPro or something mounted somewhere on my bike or on my helmet or whatever. And I'd make a video that I thought was cool and I'd post it. And then I started posting some how-to videos on different things I was working on. And those did really, really well. And then I started posting some biology tutoring videos. And those videos have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views oh, and wow. yeah and so i think i i got kind of a soft start into posting videos where people weren't really watching them and 
when I started the company, I decided to start a new channel because I didn't want my students to know that I was doing this on the side. And I just, I just wanted to keep it separate, even though my personal channel still already had a lot of views and things and was well on its mm -hmm. way. And so I think the hardest thing of, of starting and filming things is having something worth filming. Yeah. And so here I was going on these drainage jobs and they were pretty interesting. So it was like a no brainer, like let's film it. And the goal there was to have something to show my potential customers. Like here's a, here's a job we did. And it went on like that for about a year and a half. And then I hit a thousand subscribers and I realized people were watching these videos. And so it was, it was kind of like, if people are actually watching these videos, then I need to actually do a little bit to make them better. And yeah. so it has just been like a, and I don't know anything about video making and any, all that stuff. And so I've just done a ton of research. What kind of hardware do I need? What kind of cameras, what kind of, and, and watching other people, what do I like about this video that I can maybe replicate? What do I not like about this video, which I can avoid things like that to try to get me a, my own style or my own, whatever you want to call it. So yeah. it's, it, it has not been intentional at all. Wow. And as far as, as far as exposing yourself, I think, I think my work stands for itself. And so I've never had a problem defending what I did or, or how I messed up or anything like that. And so if I was putting out crappy work, then yeah, I could see people coming in and just like pulverizing me on, on the comments, but yeah. I'll get a few comments here and there, but Hey, the work speaks for itself. Yeah. And that's kind yeah. of how I've always felt. Yeah, for sure. It's it's funny about YouTube and comments and stuff because I kind of at the point where I don't really look at them or read them too much. But sometimes when I do, even a comment that's not like especially mean or negative or rude, but it's kind of like even if it was something like not my favorite interview, Nate, or something like that, or not my favorite mm -hmm. video, or <laughs> it's like good to know truly because then I can think about why. But still, it's just mm -hmm. kind of like oh, that's like a bummer. I don't know what it is, but it's it definitely sticks, you know, when there's um, anything it does negative. I don't know what it is. It's maybe I'm just like sensitive or something, but it's not that fun. I can't imagine, like I said, your, your work is great, but I can't, I watched this video a couple of weeks ago with this guy pouring a concrete patio and I'm not a concrete guy, but I was like, holy smokes. He was literally like shaking. He shook all the bags out, like in the forms. And then he like sprayed it with a hose and then oh, like, wow. hit it. it was like really funny. It, it, I, I almost thought it was a joke for a long time and then until I kind of realized he was just doing it. But anyways, oh, wow. the, com the comments were pretty brutal. And I was thinking, man, this poor guy, he's just thought he was making a fun video. But <laughs> yeah, it, it's really funny because my my comments are are drastically, overwhelmingly positive and supportive. Yeah. And I have received so much support from the YouTube community and ways that I can make things better things on the job I can do better equipment that I should buy things like that mm. and it's it's even to the point where what did I do I fell in a septic tank and I was freaking out and I I knew that I was going to put it on YouTube and I knew that my usual subscribers and usual viewers were all going to comment on it and somehow that was super super comforting to me yeah. when I was on the job in the middle of a disaster I knew that I was going to put it on YouTube and everything was going to be okay. And yeah. so 
I don't I don't know that that other channels have the support that I do, but and I don't know why I do, but yeah. I'll get an occasional negative comment. And it's like my my other commenters just like swoop in on that person and they're like, no, that's yeah. not what he meant, or you didn't even finish the video or something like that. So it's really <laughs> it's really been interesting for me. That's amazing. Well, I know why, because you can see the a lot of times like with especially your work where you're uncovering something that you don't know what you're up against. Like you're digging a hole and you're kind of like, I think we're going to find this. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I think the viewers are able to kind of understand how the unknowns in your work and how you're solving, you know, you solving things like in good faith and taking on these jobs. I'm sure there's some jobs that you probably kind of like, I'll you would rather just pass, but you know, there's yeah, some real problems that you're like, I got to help this out. And you're taking a lot of risk by taking on some of these jobs. And I think people can sense like the goodwill there that's happening in terms mm -hmm. of helping your, helping your customers out and solving yeah. serious problems. So it doesn't surprise me too much and then like we mentioned um earlier the fact that most of the videos if not all resolve with like the system functioning is just really like i said it speaks for itself it kind of answers like that question of like i don't know if that will work well you'll find out if you keep watching right exactly and that's really my favorite part of the video is the after footage because that's the satisfaction and every one of my customers they'll tell me that that before I got there, they, they lay in bed at night during a rainstorm and they know that yeah. they're screwed, they're, it's flooding. And then as soon as I'm finishing up the job, they're like, now I can't wait for it to rain. <laughs> and and that kind of peace yeah. of mind that you give somebody. Yeah. I've got one customer who, he keeps sending me these, these clips of like this little tiny light sprinkle and it's just gushing out of his pipe and he's so thrilled about it. And that's wow. the same feeling I get too, because I'm gonna go back after however many, however long it's been, and you see that water. And I always say that's water that was once a problem. And now there it goes. You can see it. It's, it's just fun to watch. It's very satisfying to watch that water just like, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. Do you think that, maybe not all, but do you think other contractors and tradesmen should be filming their work and putting it online and, and kind of doing what you've done in this way? And, and if so, why? I tell all my friends to film it and put it online because I didn't know that YouTube was a thing. And if I had known, I probably could have started a lot, a lot sooner, hit it a lot harder, been doing more quality work earlier on, things like that. And I think that having, having that relationship with your customer that you've never met before yeah, is invaluable because I've got customers who, who call me, they want to fly me down to Florida, put me up in a hotel and have me do the work for them because they, they feel like they know me. They feel like they can trust me. They feel like I know what I'm doing and I've never met them before. They're just, they're just getting that from my YouTube channel. And wow. so my, I think it was like my second or my third customer. And she was one of my top, she was one of my first 10 subscribers. She opened the phone book or I should say she opened Google, found me, called me up, had me come out and, and I had like, maybe a few, maybe three or four or five videos at this point. And I asked her, why did you hire me? I had no reviews, anything. She said, I figured if you were willing to put your stuff on YouTube, where like you were saying, the critics are just waiting for you. Yeah. She said, if you're willing to do that, I figure you must be pretty good. And it just really struck me that, yeah, that's a way I can, I can put it out there to the world and let everybody else comment on the work. So yeah. I think, I think even if you're not trying to make a YouTube channel 
you know, a big hit or anything like that, it gives a potential customer a chance to know you. The other thing, if I can't get out to a, a quote right away, let's say I can send the person to my YouTube channel and that gives them a connection to me, even when I can't reach out and connect with them quite yet. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because when I first started, I would get a call and I would say, have you seen my YouTube channel? They'd say no. And I'd send them to the YouTube channel. Now I would say 99% of people who call me, call me because of the YouTube channel. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. I, I feel the same way. It's like, especially because these days with these types of cameras, it doesn't cost that much. You're not buying film to run your camera during the work. It can happen pretty quickly. You don't need to take an hour out of your day to film. It can more or less happen while you're rolling your tools out, get a tripod. Um, it's a relatively low risk, um, thing, you know, and there's real upside that you, you just never know what it might grow into or who you might meet because of it. Yeah. And as, as far as being on the job, it has been a huge change in philosophy where we've got something that's about to happen and there's two or three or four guys. And I'm like, Oh yeah, everybody stop. Let me get the camera ready. Yeah. And the guy, and the guys are like, yo, we got to go, you know, we got work to do. And (laughs) so it's been, it's been a change in mindset to value the video portion. And we were pouring some concrete today and one of the concrete guys was about to broom finish the concrete and I made him stop and wait for me to get the camera out. Yeah. And it's, and then the can and then the tripod is sitting there and they're trying to broom finish around the tripod. It's just a, you just get used to it, but yeah. But putting yourself in the mindset that the whole job comes to a grinding halt because I've got to get this this shot because in five minutes it's going to be covered up. Maybe the last question here, and it's a back to about drainage specifics. And actually, <laughs> next year I'm going to be doing a long drain on a property next to me. It's probably going to be 200 feet, kind of a straight line draining like a whole edge of the property, and. So I've been trying to understand like the best method and everything. And there's really two, at least online, there's several uh, schools of thought. One of the biggest um, lines in the sand is whether to wrap the the rock with drainage fabric, with filter fabric. Could you maybe start by explaining from that point of view why a person would want to do that or steel man that and then talk about how you do it and explain some of the considerations around um whether or not to to wrap the 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 uh, french drain with a filter fabric so the first thing i want to ask you is do filters clog yes. air filters oil filters water filters yes, yes. they clog they, exa- it, exactly if you run a thousand gallons through it's it's filtered out a thousand gallons worth of particles if you run ten thousand gallons through it's filtered out and it's still holding that, 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 that material. So filters need to be changed. And so I don't use filter fabric on the top because what I find is in our, our soils here, they're clay. And so I see all the time where there'll be a buried French drain and there's standing water on top of it because the water can't get through the clay and into the gravel. And so it goes back again to that idea of the faster water moves, the larger the particle it can carry. And that comes from stream ecology and river ecology. And the the more flow you have, the better. So I use, instead of a thin, paper-thin piece of fabric 
I use, let's say 12 inches of gravel as my filter. And so the fine sediment, because the water can flow through the gravel really quickly, it will carry the fine sediment out. And so it's almost like a self-cleaning filter, whereas you don't want all that fine sediment up against the filter fabric because then it just clogs it and kills the flow into it. You want to maintain the flow into the system so that the fine sediment gets carried out. And when I, when I visit my French drains a lot, a lot of times it'll be slightly muddy water coming out of there. And that's why, because all that fine sediment is flowing out of the system. Now, this wouldn't really work too well if you have a lot of subsurface water where like the water table is really high, things like that, because then it would just really carry the, the material into the gravel. And so as far as like wrapping up a bed of gravel and burying it, that doesn't work in our soil. It doesn't work at all because we have impermeable clay soil. If you had sand that the water could fall through the sand and then get into the fabric and then get into the gravel, then yes, I think it would work better. But I, I'm all about maintaining flow because that's where the energy is coming from to keep that system flushed out and rinsed out. Oh, that's great. Um, I wish there was more... Um... I, it, it, I'm sure it really depends on the soil. In other words, the, the local native soils probably have something to do with it. Like you said, in a clay soil, yeah. there, there's probably, cause I called the planning out this, um, drain that I have to do. I called the, the, the supply house, just asking about price and materials and everything. Mm-hmm. And I kind of casually mentioned to the salesman, like, Oh, I do, I probably need filter fabric. Right. And he just went on a tear. Like he's kind of a, like, grumpy old man he just went on this tear like if you don't use filter fabric you better not even do the job da, 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 da. and i i wanted to ask him and i didn't like well what do you do when it clogs up i get that it's filtering stuff out right that's fine but what happens when it like can't right. take any more sediment and i just don't feel the people who are um recommending or pushing that. I don't feel like I've gotten a good answer from on how that is supposed to work. So it makes a lot of sense to me, your system to focus on the, the flow to just let those particles through and let them right on down the pipe and carry them out. That, that seems really um, logical to me. Right. And it does to me too. And I mean, I don't know why or how I came up with that. It just seems logical. So that's how I do it. Yeah. Well, I'm sure there's also like, like I said from a while ago, not, not everything you build lasts forever. And it could be that certain drains in certain places, like, yeah, they do clog up and yeah, you might may, maybe in 50 years plan on redoing it the way you plan on, you know, redoing the plaster in a pool or the air conditioner on your house or your roof. You know, it'd be nice if it was a forever yeah. thing, but maybe that's, yeah. maybe drains are not a forever solution, at least when they're underground, maybe, maybe like a swale or a ditch is the first choice for yeah. long term. Yeah, that's interesting for sure. Well, um, this is great, Sean. Thanks so much for coming on and chatting through all this. I'm going to link to your YouTube channel. Are you on Instagram or any other platforms as well or just YouTube? Just YouTube. Do you, do you consider yourself a YouTuber now? Do you tell people you're a YouTuber or you tell them a contractor um, <laughs> biologist? I usually say biologist or mountain biker, <laughs> yeah, but, but yeah, I guess I'm starting to think of myself as a YouTuber. And I've had a couple of people where I've been filming, they say, are you a YouTuber or are you a, are you a vlogger? Things like that. And I'm like, you know what? I guess I am. It's kind of weird, yeah. but yeah. Um, 
it's definitely been a, a fun and interesting journey for me. And I've learned a lot from the yeah. YouTube stuff. Well, I'm a huge fan. I love your videos. I've learned so much about drainage. And as I've watched them, I've just been paying attention to like when I go for a jog around my neighborhood, I seeing people's drains and just understanding what happens with this water. It's simultaneously the most obvious thing because we all know that water flows downhill and yep. it will puddle and yep. it like won't <laughs> go up unless you pump, like all these like really basic things. And yet it's still like this feels like this puzzle sometimes thinking about how to get it out of places, you know, cleanly. So I've really enjoyed um, seeing some of the uh, systems you've put together and we're definitely cheering you on. And when I get this drain going across the road here, I'll be paying extra close attention and, uh, probably, um, who knows if I get, if I run into any, uh, uncertainties, I may give you a holler and get some mm -hmm. professional advice. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it and thanks for all the compliments. Yeah, you bet. Um, everybody will link to Sean's channel, Gate City Foundation Drainage. What's Gate City, by the way? You're in North Carolina. Is that the town you're in? That is the nickname of the town I'm in. So it used to be called the Triad. And then they, they kind of came up with this new new nickname, Gate City. And so there's like Gate City everything, like Gate City heating and air, Gate City plumbing, just everything. And oh. so when I when I was trying to name my company, I I wanted foundation drainage in there because I didn't want people calling me with like clogged up, you know, kitchen sinks and stuff. Yeah. And so it's a really cumbersome long name, but I think it it provides enough detail about what I do that I don't get a lot of those calls. Like my bathroom's clogged up. You're a drainage guy. Can you come unclog it? Yeah. So that's where that's where it came from. Yeah, it's like a perfectly descript. It's long, but it's extremely descriptive. So where if somebody's calling Gate City Foundation Drainage. Like they, 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 they know why, or you know why they're calling right, without right. having to like ask them a bunch <laughs> of questions first, huh? Yeah. That's cool. All right, Sean. Well, thanks again. Have a great night. We'll, um, we will, uh, do this again one of these days and can't wait to see what you, uh, are working on next. All right. Thank you. And thanks for the invite.